Hi everyone, this is your host Harmit, and you're listening to Tobin Talks. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning into Tobin Talks today. I'm your host, Harmit, and today we have a very exciting and arts-based episode for you. First up, we'll explore a short film that reclaims what it means to be French enough and explores the diversity of Canadian Francophone identities. After that, we'll explore one of Manitoba's dark fantasy live-action roleplay, or LARP, Guildhouses. Stay tuned for more! First up, let's go over to arts and culture reporter Damien, speaking with Francesca singer-songwriter and filmmaker Alexis Normand about her film, French Enough. My name is Alexis Normand. Um, I spell it A-L-E-X-I-S-N-O-R-N-A-N-D. Uh, my pronouns are she and her. And I, you could call me a songwriter and filmmaker. Perfect. Thank you so much. I guess to really kick off, I got this forwarded to me, um, the NFB board's um, screenings, and I saw the title of your film and I got really excited. Um, So I checked it out and um, Kachel obviously like connected us. It was so cool. Um, so I have a lot of questions, but I guess I'll start off with like a, a basic one first, which is kind of like, how did it come to be the pick for Francophonie? How did that kind of happen? Uh, it was a whole bunch of moving forces and stars aligning and like holding my finger up at the right moment when the wind came. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of how it felt. Like the film had been a long time coming. Uh, like I first pitched it to the film board in 2019 and um, I knew like how do I describe this whole process I knew I wanted to do a film about francophone identity specifically uh, like the experiences that I know as a francophone and how and like looking into the tension points and the weird kind of shame or insecurities around language like around my accent and the words that I use and all these things that I had just sort of accepted for a long time as the normal part of my being and instead of just accepting it I wanted to kind of dig into it and uh, I had discovered filmmaking really late in my career like I had been a songwriter for 10 years before I found filmmaking yeah um and I just anyway so I made a film but then or I had this idea for a film and I also like I knew I had more to say so I also wrote an album (laughs) that's coming out later this year uh and and yeah so we I started I pitched the idea in 2019, but I had a different, I- also a different idea for the film. Sorry, this is a really long-winded answer. Oh, it's totally. I might have started too late, too early in the process. Uh, anyway, so during the, the pandemic happened and uh, we did the development and I had like this film idea. And, and then I asked the film board for a year that I was like, can we not shoot it this summer? Can we shoot it next summer in 2021? Because I'd like to write more music because I, I always wanted some kind of relationship between the film and a new record. I knew there would be something there. I wasn't sure yet what it would be. So I wanted time to explore that. So then by the time 2021 came around, I had already written a few songs. That's also when we shot the film. And then it went right into like editing. And it was done by 
March, like it, like a year ago, roughly, we were just finishing wrapping up the post-production. In the meantime, I knew that I had this record coming out, like that I was working on these songs. And so I, I had been making phone calls and I said, I have, I have an idea for a concert screening event. It's going to talk about Francophone identity. It's going to talk about exogamous families and insecurities around language. And, and I just sort of started pitching it <laughs> to different people. Yeah. And I had pitched it to, um, well, namely to Les Rendezvous de la Francophonie, which, uh, which is, uh, the, what was started yesterday. It's like a month long, uh, national event promoting Francophone culture across, across the country. Yeah. And the French language too. Uh, and they were like, okay, cool. Well, you know, like the film wasn't done. My record wasn't done yet at that time. They're like, well, just keep us posted. We'll see what happens. Like, okay. <laughs> and then I had also pitched it to, um, Le Front de la Francophonie des Amériques, which is, a uh, a center in based in Quebec City that uh, whose mandate is to promote the francophone francophonie in all of the Americas. And uh, Flavie, the woman there, she said, "Well, you know, we've got this event in the summertime. So this was the last summer that just went by." And she said, "We could probably, you know, it's a, it's a forum for youth ambassadors, and and we're looking, we're we're studying the you know this whole idea of identity, and we think it'd be a really great addition to the forum." And I said, "Okay, cool." So. That was in August. And as it turns out, like, then I found out that the film board, National Film Board, already has uh, a relationship with Les Rendezvous de la Francophonie. So, they, like, for 18 years, this is the 18th year that they worked together. And wow. uh, the film board, the woman, Florence, she, like, I had met her sort of, like, there's one point when in the film board where you meet, like, all the marketing people, and it's, like, 20 people on your screen. <laughs> Each person represents a department of the film board, and Florence is one that does just, like, les rendezvous. So, uh, anyway, uh, she ended up, thank goodness, she came to that to that gig I had in August at the during the forum, and I was, like, so nervous. It was the first time I was sharing my new songs and, and this film with, like, people I didn't know <laughs> and uh and it went really really well like a, a lot of people cried a lot of people saw themselves I cried like it was uh it, it was just like a really it was very validating in in I'm like okay my idea is good and <laughs> it's resonating with people yeah it just really really touched people and Florence from the film board was there and so I think she started working her her magic with Les Rendezvous uh she sent the film to Les Rendezvous and then like a couple of weeks later, they asked me to be spokesperson for their event. So that's kind of all how it came to be. <laughs> um, that's, love, uh, that's quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's like stars aligning, also work, lots of work happening from different people. And and in the end, I think it speaks to the, the strength of the message that I'm trying to convey, I think, and people seeing themselves in it and also seeing the importance of it. Yeah. I think that's what's drawing people together for things to happen. I wanted to kind of get into into it because I got access to the film and I watched it multiple times. I thought it was great. And Thanks. something that really attracted me to it, maybe just from my own like personal experience, but I was very interested that the film, in a respectful way, but like still like clearly, like kind of digs into the Francophone community a bit and your experience with it. Like there are sections where um your mother is expressing how the school was quick to say that you were good at being French um, and that she was frustrated with how there wasn't like a, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but like a feasible um, route for your, you guys to take in order to kind of improve. And 
the film kind of felt like a resistance to a traditional perception of what a francophone life is. Um, and I thought that was really cool because obviously you're kicking off Francophony Month, so you'd pick a film that maybe wouldn't do that, but you, you <laughs> did do it. And I was just wondering maybe if I could kind of get your thoughts and feelings on that or... Well, I think you really nailed it. It's a film that's resisting... I like the way you put it, actually. I might use that in future interviews. <laughs> uh, a, a film that resists... How did you put it? The traditional uh, model of francophone yeah. identity. It's one of the reasons why the film was so hard to make for me because I like I knew I had these tension points and I knew they played out in my life, but they were so normal and so like so close to me that I couldn't really see the story. My producer would tell me all the time, so what are we gonna see? Like we're gonna see my life. <laughs> and and I think part of the thing is like there was I had to like unpack the uncomfortable feeling, like the shame. I felt like for a long time I felt kind of shame and I had to like hide you know the the fact that we speak english at home and in my professional world or in my outside world especially when i was navigating francophone spaces i like i identify as francophone but i always had like this resistance because i'm not my family it doesn't it doesn't correspond to that traditional yeah. model of what francophone looks like and and that's also why i wanted to do the film i i want like cause my this story is not unique it's not like i mean in some respects it is, but what I what I mean is like there are a lot of families out there like mine. Lots. There are a lot of families and it's not just like exogamous English French. There's like bicultural families. There are families who are learning French or who know French as a third language. Like it opens the door to to that, to those experiences, because they're just as valid as the one as the traditional model of what Francophonia is supposed to look like, or <laughs> in air quotes, supposed to. Um and I wanted to validate those, those realities and also the struggle of it. Like everyone, you know, when you grow up in the Francophone world, they always say, oh, you should back, like we're always fighting. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know, in, in a certain time in history, like it was literally that they had to bring governments to court to get schools. Like there were, there were battles, there were struggles. Yeah. And then also like on a micro level in a family or in a couple, in a relationship or like how how do how do those struggles play out as well? And there's a lot of chatter about exogamous families. It's almost like our mooc It's like that and la sécurité linguistique. So there's these hot topics in the francophone community that that yeah. are come up a lot. And one of them is des familles exogames, so exogamous family structures, which means like if you look it up in the dictionary, it means uh, each parent comes from a different cultural background. In the francophone community specifically it means one of them doesn't speak french one of them is not francophone uh and then like sécurité linguistique that's something actually it's difficult to translate in english because when i've used in, uh, in linguistic insecurities which is the literal translation people assume that i'm worried about the disappearance of the french language in canada and i'm not worried about that it's literally insecurities about my the way i speak my accent uh like having been like my accent, the, my my the regional expressions I use, yeah. Uh, the, my sometimes I'm like second guessing how I conjugate verbs. Like it's that it's not feeling comfortable speaking French, and that's a huge issue for like that's an issue that a lot of people talk about in the francophone communities. But we never talk about those issues. I've I haven't seen very often those issues being explored in a family context. Like how do they actually play out? What actually happens in the day to day? 
And often, especially in Saskatchewan, like the, the stories I've seen about French families or Francophony are often made by outside people coming into the province telling our stories. They're not told from within very often. And I wanted to show that. I wanted to show, like, my mom has this expression she uses a lot. She says, it's uh, the ordinary being extraordinary. And, and that's and like, it only occurred to me later that's sort of what the film is doing. Like, this is my daily life. When I talk about it with other Francophones in Saskatoon, they're like, yeah, but that's so long. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, this is, this is a reality and we never see it. And, and anyway, so yeah, I, I wanted to show that there is a different way of living Francophone life, that it's also valid, uh, that it also has its struggles and it also works towards the greater vision of creating more space for French life wherever, where, wherever you can be in, in this country. Yeah. Moving, actually, this is a great segue for me, kind of like, what is the Francophone community in Saskatchewan like? Um... When I go to Manitoba or Alberta and into those Francophone communities, I feel like I'm meeting cousins a lot of the time. So <laughs> in many ways, they're it's very similar, like, especially like historically speaking, uh, especially between Alberta and Saskatchewan, because the provinces were created at the same time. Yeah. A lot of the struggle, like historical struggles, like legal battles and stuff, are those stories are quite similar between the Prairie Provinces? In fact, most most places in Canada have had what they call like uh, la crise scolaire. So, like in the 1910s, like I think it happened start, started in Saskatchewan in 1917, where French was limited to one hour a day, mm. uh, and then like up until 1929, that's all people got. But in 1929, it was flat out illegal to teach in any language but English. Oh wow. Um, so like those kinds of things, like that story, and that's why I feel like sometimes I'm meeting cousins in other places because there's that kind of history that, that yeah. is woven into the fabric of the communities. In Saskatchewan, it's a pretty vibrant community um, and also really dispersed. I find in Manitoba, by contrast, it's a lot of Francophone towns and it's it's just kind of concentrated more so around, yeah. around St. Boniface and Winnipeg, like the furthest communities are far, but not as far as Saskatchewan. Like you can go from Zenon Park, which is way up in, in the north, all the way to Belgard, and that's like a nine-hour drive. <laughs> so, and I think it's partly due to the railroads. So, when when the colonizers came from Europe, there was one railroad going north, the other one going south, and so all the towns kind of are spread out in that way. Um, but nowadays, like the communities changed a lot. It's way more diverse. They're way more like there are new immigrants that aren't from Europe. <laughs> and I think, and that's the thing I love about the Francophone community and I, I want to see more of and I want to see it embrace it even more is it is not just the diversity between like English and French, like like the type of experience that I had, but there's so much more diversity and of experiences and of backgrounds and of yeah. like all of this makes like, and I think that's really so special about the Francophone community. It's, you have like this di dias dias diaspora. I can never pronounce that word in English. Yes, diaspora. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> but within like this mic, like Francophones make up like fewer than 5% of Saskatchewan or something like that. Like, I don't know what the real stats are, but but it's very multicultural. And that's so cool to me. What is something you hope viewers of all kinds, Francophone or Anglophone, anyone, uh, what do you hope they take away from this film? Um, well, one I think is to just discover a, a different type of model of what francophone life can look like, and what 
you know, the inner workings of, of that particular, like of our family, how that works, how we make it work. I think more broadly speaking, like I, I've been hearing um, comments from, especially from folks who live in a bicultural or bilingual or multilingual, multicultural family setting, where you're kind of, you feel stuck between between two places or between two languages or two cultures. And what I'm noticing are, are folks who, who see themselves in that experience realize it's normal. It's normal to be like, what do I do? <laughs> who am I? How do I navigate these worlds? But that thought process is, is like normal. And eventually you find your way. Yeah, I think it's it's just to validate that that kind of identity journey. And well, I guess just compared to like my friends who speak only one language, they don't think about that as much. Like, you yeah. know, whereas for Francophones, I know that there's a moment of like there's a there's like an aha moment that happens at some point where where a person realizes that if they don't make active and conscious choices to live in French or to make room for French in their in their life or to you know then then you just won't it won't happen especially in a minority language context it's just so easy to function in English and I hope like I know that for my mom as an English speaker, she found it really hard to integrate or even be like, even show up to French francophone spaces. But I, I think that people are a little more open-minded in the French community. Like it used to be keep your elbows out, like it's us versus, you know, and I think the community is still trying to figure out like, if you, you can't be too open, otherwise that's assimilating and you can't be too yeah. closed, otherwise they'll snuff it out. So they're finding a balance. French Enough is available to stream for free on the National Film Board of Canada's website as part of Francophonie Month. Next up, let's go over to arts and culture reporter Jesse speaking with Colton Day, who is the Underworld Mist Haven Guildmaster, as well as Lauren Perry, who's a U of M Faculty of Arts student, as well as a Mist Haven player, and is on their public relations team as well. So my name is Colton Day. It's Lauren Perry. I think a lot of people who might read the article have likely never heard of role-playing. Could the both of you or either of you describe it um, as if to somebody who's never heard of it before? Basically, like our, the easiest way to understanding LARP, you take what happens in popular fantasy movies like Lord of the Rings uh, or series like The Witcher, and you act that out in real life, much like a tabletop role-playing game like Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder, the same way that you would have that character go about their life or their adventure. But you are your character, much like in, in those tabletops, but you actually get to swing the sword, uh, slay the dragon, you know, that kind of thing. You don't just imagine it in your mind's eye, you actually basically put on that persona um, for a day, a weekend, or uh, or however long our events are. Did you want to add anything to that, Lauren? Yeah, typically I would describe it as um, sort of an interactive, improvised theater experience to make it sound mature. 
and um realistically it's it's very akin to playing pretend like when we were kids except now you know we have money <laughs> and we are we are more able to play in a more complicated form than just simply playing pretend in the yard so i've heard that uh larping weapons are usually made of foam and lauren you've compared larp to theater so i'm guessing there's a lot of props involved can you guys talk about that are there like like very detailed costumes are there a lot of props or do people usually just come as they are um so yeah our our weapons are predominantly made of like a, a latex foam you can make your own larp weapons or props or anything like that from stuff that you find at home that looks interesting that you, you know like tarnishing old silverware kind of thing uh for cutlery or like really basic stuff like making books or or scrolls out of just regular white paper and a tea bag and hot water like and that's that's how we age our paper and for what like uh for weapons it's pretty easy um stuff it's basically on the low end uh it's a pvc pipe with uh hockey tape and a pool noodle not very flashy or showy uh, by any means um but most of our stuff that we use is uh what we have kind of dubbed as commercial grade um so there's stores out there like epic armory uh calamacell that sell realistic looking weaponry armor and all of that and that's what we predominantly use just because we're we're fancy and bougie uh and <laughs> so it adds a bit of bouginess to the to the whole ordeal hey yeah like fashion forward you know you gotta you gotta look good when you're uh when you're cutting down goblins you know so totally it's important um yeah so costume and prop making and and putting together is actually a huge part of our community um and part of a general LARP community as a whole. Um, Underworld is a dark fantasy medieval themed LARP. And so a lot of our costumes are heavily based in that. I was wondering how big Underworld Mist Haven is in uh, just Winnipeg or Manitoba, if you folks know how many people are involved in it and maybe how many people are involved across Canada, if you have connections. Uh, Underworld as a whole chunks up the territory of Canada into provinces. Um, so basically, uh, Manitoba is our quote-unquote territory. Um, so most players will come here unless there's a closer game uh, in a different province. Currently, we have about 44 active players. We are getting a big boost from Comic-Con this year, so um, we don't know our exact numbers for this year. We're probably going to be high 40s low 50s uh which is great there are eight other guilds in canada uh, underworld is an international uh franchise because we do have a guild house in florida uh and in japan my second to last question is um so what tends to draw people to underworld mist haven uh, sure um so certainly an interest in in fantasy um, interest in fantasy literature or movies, pop culture, an interest in theater. Um, there are plenty of people in Underworld Mist Haven with theater backgrounds, um, an interest in gaming, an interest in community, um, sort of all of these things 
attractive sauce to this one place. Oh, crafting, creativity, uh, even sports. Um, LARP can be quite athletic in terms of um, all the running around you have to do and fighting you have to do. There's really something for everybody, uh, especially in Underworld, Mist Haven. As, as Lauren stated, like there's so many facets to LARP. It's, it's hard to kind of put it in a box realistically. How I've always viewed it is it's, it's a form of escapism. Like what we do is very much going to see the gold eyes game or uh, going to a movie. Like it's, it's, it's a peak memory, basically, you know, you, you, you go out and you enjoy it. And after you come back from it, like you, you don't have something tangible you have the experience and that's very much what LARP is. It's an experience. Some people are, are who I've known in the community. Like when I, when we first, like when I first met some people, they were so shy. They didn't want to talk. They didn't want to do that. Uh, they were bad at public speaking or improv or anything like that. Like it's, it's very much an escapism tactic from, uh, the, the humdrum of life and as well as yourself. Like sometimes people just need to decompress, uh, and get away from the folk reality for a little while. And that's, that's what we offer. Like you put on a completely different persona when you come and you LARP, you don't need to be, uh, that shy person. You can be that, that loud knight uh, who stands up for what they believe in. Like you can be, you can be whatever you want. Like it's so freeing in a way to be able to have that opportunity and that experience where you, you become, you become more than yourself basically. Like that's, that's what I think draws people in to LARP, like the, the opportunity to escape in a healthy way, their lives. Just come out and LARP. You, you'll understand what I just come out and LARP and you'll feel it. <laughs> like, That's true. You, you'll understand. It sounds crazy because it is, but sometimes the world needs that crazy thing. Oh, I was just going to add that it's, it's certainly a creative outlet, um, a safe space for personal growth, you know, a place to have an adventure and to experience a story together with a welcoming community. Everybody is there to have fun with each other. It's very freeing, like Colton said. Perfect. So my last question was, what kinds of programming do you folks have lined up for the foreseeable future? Uh, we have our Yule Ball event. So it's um, that's kind of a one-night one kind of shindig uh, where uh, everybody dresses up in their, in their fancy gowns. It's a masquerade theme this year. Hopefully nobody gets murdered. And <laughs> I mean in game. <laughs> so it's a, it's a one night event. We have food, uh, we have dancing and, uh, and yeah, we, we kind of set the stage for our upcoming season. Uh, or it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird gray area. Uh, we, we close off last season, uh, with some things that happen and we kind of lead some plot hooks like any good cliffhanger would uh, during it. Uh, <laughs> then our regular season, 
our season game dates. We are happy to announce them um, in December to give everybody plenty of time to prepare for the upcoming season in the spring. So our, we have weekend-long uh, events in which players can come and camp out at the site um, if they so chose. Um, and we play from Friday evening to Sunday afternoon. Um, so our first, uh, our, well, I guess our second season event is uh, in May, May 5th to 7th. Um, and then we have one uh, in every month after that until November, weather permitting. All right, perfect. I just wanted to add that uh, if anybody reading the newspaper is interested in joining us for upcoming season or even for a Yule Ball, the best place to find out more information about upcoming events, information for new players, uh, information about what LARP even is. We have all of that on our Instagram page at Underworld Misthaven. Um, we also have a Discord server and a Facebook page, which you will be able to find at Underworld Misthaven as well. Just a reminder that if you ever have any suggestions or feedback for people who you'd like to see on the podcast, if you'd like to be on the podcast, if you want to send in any of your poetry, short stories, any of those types of things, please email me at audio at themanitobin.com. You can find Tobin Talks Thursdays at 1130 on 101.5 FM radio, which is UMFM radio, and you can listen to us anytime on all of your podcast streaming services, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's it for today, and we'll see you on the next episode of Tobin Talks.